tomorrow, gentlemen. We'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pools, the casino, big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? On a gamble. They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The Strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas.
a real estate developer from L.A. who built the El Cortez and later the Thunderbird, which he ran for a time. When its routes expanded to international destinations, the service became Trans-International Airlines. It was the first charter airline to operate jet aircraft. It was during this time that Kerkorian and Howard Hughes had their first professional dealings with one another via their airlines. Kirk quickly learned two things about Howard. First, Howard usually got what he wanted, and it didn't really matter where anyone else was in line at the time. Hughes always seemed to end up in the front. And second, working with Hughes was not always a productive exercise. By 1955, Kirk was earning $100,000 a year with his airline and decided he wanted to invest in another industry that would one day require the two to again operate in the same sphere of existence, the gaming industry in Las Vegas. Kerkorian tried to buy 3% ownership in the Dunes in 1955. Despite quick approval to purchase 1% for 50,000, the Dunes was poorly run and competing against a rapidly expanding market. After new leadership cycled in and out, Kirk's investment was financially valueless, but he learned a valuable lesson. Don't invest in a business you don't run. In 1962, Kirk sold Trans International Airlines for just under a million dollars to the Studebaker Automotive Company. He used that money to buy 40 acres of land on the Strip, across the street from the Flamingo, and planned to build his own casino. But in 1964, Studebaker needed to offload assets to address financial problems and put the airline up for sale. So, Kirk bought his airline back at a discount. However, that move forced him to abandon his plans to build in Vegas because he didn't have enough money to do both. So he rented the land to Jay Sarno for $190,000 a year as well as 15% of the casino's earnings. Jay built Caesar's Palace on that land and Kirk made close to $4 million a year from the rent. In 1967, Kukorian once again sold his airline, this time to Transamerica, and returned to Las Vegas with a plan to not only build a new hotel casino, but with a plan on how to run it. First thing he did was buy an 82-acre site on Paradise Road for $5 million and announced plans to build the International, the largest, most luxurious property in Las Vegas. No one had ever attempted to build a strip-type resort off of Las Vegas Boulevard before. At the time, the only thing off-strip were restaurants, modest motels, the convention center, the landmark project that had been sitting unfinished for close to a decade, and lots of undeveloped desert land. But Kerkorian reasoned that people who drove up and down the strip to visit various properties and see different shows wouldn't have a problem going a block or two east to visit the sort of resort he had in mind. And if that were the case, it only made sense to purchase land far less expensive than that available on the Strip. While the international project was in the developmental phase, Kokorian also bought the Flamingo for $12.5 million. Kokorian knew the only way that he could create the kind of resort that he wanted to build, he would need to not only learn how to run a property in Vegas, but he would need to train the staff to support it in advance. The original plan was to learn all that he could then sell the Flamingo once the International opened. However, the Flamingo was an instant moneymaker, so instead he kept the property and invested $2.4 million to renovate and expand it. In his first full year running the Flamingo, its reported revenue was triple 
what was reported the year before. Just as final preparations were being made for the international groundbreaking, Howard Hughes announced renovation plans of $150 million that would make the Sands the largest hotel in the world with 4,000 rooms, the world's largest bowling alley, an ice skating rink, a movie theater that would show unreleased films, as well as an indoor golf course. However, the announcement was nothing more than an attempt to discourage Krikorian from building the International and potentially challenge Hughes' status as the most important person in Las Vegas. While secretly concerned, the announcement didn't even delay Kirk's progress on the International Project. That being said, despite a glowing track record, the announcement may be at least one of the reasons why Krikorian had trouble finding a bank that would loan him the $60 million he requested for the International Project. Some speculate that, specifically in Bank of America's case, even though they had already had several successful dealings with Kirk, they wouldn't loan him money for the project because they were Howard Hughes' primary bank at the time, helping him in his Las Vegas buying frenzy. This rumor was substantiated when late in 1968, Bank of America loaned Krikorian $73 million to purchase controlling interest in Western Airlines, an industry Hughes was no longer in. Others say Krikorian had trouble because people didn't believe the project was real. Whatever the reason, Kirk was only able to get $30 million from the Nevada National Bank and another $5 million by selling the land he was leasing to Caesars. Despite being underfunded, the project broke ground with hopes that progress would reassure investors to loan him the rest of the money required to finish it. The plan all along was to go public with the company at some point, but Kirk would decide to expedite that and use the sale of stock to finance the remainder of the project. Realizing the Super Sands project wouldn't stop the International from being built, Hughes tried to oppose new legislation already in the works to help corporations move into the casino industry. Interestingly enough, development on this legislation was introduced largely to help Hughes conduct his great land grab and avoid the standard public requirements for a gaming license. Eventually accepting opposing legislation wasn't a viable option to deter Corian, Howard abandoned it and Kirk was able to raise $26.5 million from the sale of stock in the new company, International Leisure. Hughes' last attempt to prevent the International from being built was to play friend and concerned colleague. In a series of letters to Kikorian, Hughes shared his concerns that the nuclear testing being done in Nevada were a danger to high-rise projects like the International and the Super Sands. Hughes announced his plans to abandon the Super Sands project and tried to convince Kirk to stand with him in opposition of further testing by refusing to build his project as well. Gregorian didn't share the same concern and continued developing the International. Finally accepting he couldn't stop Gregorian from building, Hughes did the only thing left he could think of. He would build a better casino. Howard Hughes purchased the unfinished Landmark Project, also located along Paradise Road, less than a city block south from Gregorian's International. Hughes' plan was to finish and open the landmark before the International, believing that would hurt the success of Krikorian's property. While Hughes accomplished his goal of opening before Krikorian, one day before, it did nothing to hurt the massive success of the International. By the fall of 1969, the $16.6 million worth of stock Krikorian owned in International Leisure became valued at $180 million. 
but Kirk's attention was already drawn towards his next project. The movie industry had been in decline since the late 40s, as television grew in popularity. With only one in six movies released making back the money it cost to make it, by the late 60s, studios had to reorganize the way they did business in order to remain solvent. This caused companies like MGM stock to become undervalued and ripe for acquisition. In 1969, initial rumors were that Howard Hughes was going to purchase the studio, but that never materialized. Instead, Kirk Kokorian bought it. In 1970, the first loan was coming due for the International. The plan was to have a second round of stock offering in International Leisure to pay down the loan and refinance the remaining amount. While preparing to make that offering, the SEC was attempting to build a case against Meyer Lansky for tax evasion and requested the books from Lansky's time as owner of the Flamingo from Krikorian. As one can imagine, financial records documenting the business dealings of organized crime weren't exactly included in the purchase of a Vegas casino. When Krikorian informed the committee that he didn't have such records, rather than believe him, the SEC chose to put an indefinite hold. We hope you've enjoyed this premium content preview. For access to the rest of this episode, as well as all the premium content we offer, go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. A monthly subscription will give you access to the enhanced version of the podcast, often with bonus content, exclusive podcasts like 360 Vintage Vegas, 360 Origins, 360 Vegas Movies, insider information on all things 360 Vegas, 360 Vegas Vacation, and early access to everything. To subscribe, simply go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can find a link to Patreon on our blog, 360vegaspodcast.com. Yeah.